James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter or with greater strictness. But we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man and able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how powerful it is, how true it is, how, how it's able to awaken our souls to you. Um, Father, we pray that this morning you would. You wouldn't let us be sleepy, but our minds would be fully engaged. Our hearts would be hungering and thirsting after you to not only hear your word, but to do it and put it in practice so that we might experience you. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word this morning. Thank you for the blessing of your teaching as it's proclaimed over your people and declared over your people. May it be powerful and transformative for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The children can be dismissed. Well, good morning, church. Uh, My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new or you're visiting, uh, really glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, I considered us just reading that passage and just doing a mic drop and just, just leaving. Uh, just because that passage, it, it, we're going to walk through it, but it is so rich. We would do well uh, to just spend some time ourselves meditating uh, on what James says here and, and letting it kind of um, examine us well. Uh, so I hope whatever I give to you is just going to be a help for you to do that this morning. Um, we, we've been in this series now in James for several weeks since the beginning of March and uh, you know, there's a way that we, we come to God's Word each week, right? We come on a Sunday, we open up God's Word, we, we read these texts, we study these texts, we, we examine them, we try to understand them. Um, but if we're doing that right, do you know what actually starts to happen? These texts actually start to read us, don't they? They start to examine us, and we're, we read them, we open them up, but they start to open us up. 
begin to expose these different places in our life where we, where we need to change. I don't know about you, but that's what I've, I've found personally God doing as we've studied through the book of James these several weeks, is God just opening me up, exposing me to all of these different places where uh, what I preach and what I practice have a disconnect, where what I believe and what I actually walk out are often different, where my, my, what we often call our checklist theology and my, my practical, my functional, my everyday street-level theology are, are just, there's a dissonance between them. I don't know if you've been finding that at all as we've gone through this series, but I sure have. And that's our prayer through this series, is that God would really shape us in those ways. It is, he'd expose these places of disconnect. Um, and can I just say that, that God wants to do that because he, he loves us way too much to let us just stay the same, to let us keep the status quo in our lives. We're often with our mouths, right? We, we proclaim Jesus, we worship Jesus, but in, in the functional day-to-day of our lives, we're not serving him, we're not following him. God loves us too much to let us, let us stay there. And there's such a safety in the gospel for us to come to a passage like this and let God change us. You know, we look every week to the cross, to this place where God gave his life for us, where God really declared his commitment to us, his love for us. And so when we look there at the cross, there, there is such safety for us in letting God into the places that we struggle in letting God open us up and press into our sinful tendencies, there's a safety for us to let God change us and shape us and transform us. We're actually safe to let God work on us and work in us. And so this morning, uh, God has work that he wants to do in us through this passage in James chapter 3. And so I hope we'll just let God open us up, examine our, our mess, kind of lay it out on the table, and, uh, and change us um, because in his grace, he's not going to let us stay the same. This week, as I was studying this passage, I couldn't help but remember uh, a moment from very early on in my marriage, a moment that I would really like to forget. You know, uh, before I got married, I was really spiritually mature. I was, um, I was almost perfect. If Jesus was here, this was me. I was probably right about this peg. But I got married, and, and something happened. I think my wife influenced me, and I started to kind of um, degrade spiritually. I, I went down in my maturity level. No, what was in me just started to actually come out in context of uh, another person. But I remember um, in about our third year of marriage, um, our oldest daughter, Ava, had just been born uh, the year before. And uh, we were in the thick of parenting a newborn. Some of you know what that looks like at that stage of life, right? We're surviving on coffee and sugar. We're worn out. We're, we're worn down. Um, I, as I said, I'm trying to just make any excuse that I can for the behavior that ensued on this particular day. Somehow, uh, my wife and I got into an argument. And this wasn't just a level one argument, like where you disagree about a few things. This was a level 10 argument, like where we were, we were losing it. Um, my anger started to escalate. I don't even remember what the argument was about. Usually that happens with arguments like that. But it was obvious uh, to me and to everyone else, my wife namely, that the angrier I got, the more and more self-control just went out the window for me. Well, finally, my anger boiled over and I felt this sudden overwhelming temptation to throw something, to throw something hard, to to throw it like now. And through these bloodshot, 
angry eyes. I just grabbed around me for whatever was in, within my reach that I might be able to find to throw. So I stumbled around and grabbed hold of what was closest, this perfectly sized white ball that was within arm's reach. And I picked it up and I threw a fastball as hard as I could against the wall. Well, as soon as that little white ball left my hand, I regretted what I'd done. It was almost like I was outside of my body looking at myself moving in slow motion and this white ball released and all I wanted to do was pull it back. No! (laughs) But as it went through the air, it slammed against the wall and I knew what I'd done. I looked around at the carnage. Gel beads were strewn everywhere around the floor. And I looked up on the wall, and there was a small, round, yellow spot where the impact had happened. My eyes scanned down, and there on the floor was what was left of a Huggies size 2 diaper. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, yes. Yes, it was one I would like to forget, a moment I would very much like to forget. But it makes for a great sermon illustration. Now... Maybe, I'm saying probably likely, most of you have never thrown a diaper in anger before, Um, but that is such a portrait of what we can do. I think if we're honest, what many of us have done multiple times in our life with our words. Have you ever had a moment where out of anger or fear or insecurity or whatever other internal strife was going on, you've, you've said something, and as it came out of your mouth, you just wished that you could pull it back, that you could bring it back in. Have you ever had a moment like that? Yeah, I mean, if we're human, right, if we're breathing, we have, in the, in the heat of an argument, you, you lash out against your spouse in words that can't be taken back, right? In, in exasperation and, and frustration, you name-call your children. You spoiled brat. And teenagers that are here, as you storm out of the room, those words fly at your parents, right? I hate you. And it's not just angry words either, right? Gossip, lies, throwing shade at someone behind their back, innuendo, harshness with our tone, and always having to have the last word, Careless words, exaggeration, talking without listening to the other person, using, using your words to build up yourself and tear down others. I mean, sadly, we've all had these moments, haven't we? Where we wish we, we hadn't said what we've said and where we, we look at and we see the mess that our words have created, the, the carnage, the destruction, the problems, that same problems that that diaper did that day, right? A mess. We've all had these moments, and James admits that here in this passage, right? What does he say? Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. The average person does a fifth of their life, spends a fifth of their life talking. If you put all of the words that you spoke today into a single book, it would make up a 50-page book. Add to that all, in our technological age, right, all the texts that we send, all the Facebook posts we make, all the Twitter posts we make, um, uh, if we write a little bit on our Instagram, maybe there's a, there's a spot too, all the emails we send, right, and this is, 
communication is just part of what we do for most of our life. And communi- communicating like that is, is fundamental to what it means to be human, right? What it means for us to be created in God's image. God is a speaking God, and he's, he's created us with this ability to speak. But sadly, this, this thing that's been given to us to be a blessing, right? Our speech, our words, this thing that's actually meant to do good for others and to do good within us, it's, it's that very thing that so often we wield out of, a, out of a, a disordered heart state and that starts to explode and stain and do all kinds of damage around us. Now, James's goal in this entire book is what? It's to line up our faith with our works. James's point in the whole book is that real authentic faith, real Christianity is going to show itself. It's going to be visible in some way. Our faith gets worked out. Now, if faith touches down anywhere in our life, I think it's going to have to touch down on this fundamental reality of how we communicate, right? how we use our words. There's no place that faith gets worked out more on the ground level of our life than in this nitty-gritty everyday reality of how we use our, our words. And James 3 is a reality check for us on our words. James wants us to get that words really matter. Authentic faith works itself out. It's, it's made visible. Real faith is made visible nowhere more than in our words, in the way that we speak. Now James helps us through this passage, not by actually telling us what to say, not by telling us how to speak, but by painting this picture of what actually goes on when we speak. And so the way that we're going to approach this text this morning really simply is just, I see four things here that James wants us to see about our speech that's going to help us to grow in this area. And I'm going to just, I'm not going to give them all to you up front this morning, I'm going to give them to you as we go along. So number one thing that James wants us to see about the way that we speak is this. Number one, words are incredibly powerful. Very simple, words are incredibly powerful. If you look at the text in front of you, chapter 3 here, I'm going I'm to loop back to verse 1 in just a minute, but I want to jump in at verse 2. So uh, if you've got your Bible in front, of, in front of you, why don't you read this with me? Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now, James has already mentioned something about the tongue at the beginning of chapter 1. There's this section starting in chapter 1, verse 26, that's almost like the table of contents for the rest of James. And in James chapter 1, verse 26, James says that real religion, true, pure religion, is marked by bridling your tongue. Now here in chapter 3, he reintroduces this idea and, and he adds to it. There is a way, James says, that what you do with your words actually affects your entire body. It affects your entire life, is what he's saying. There's this incredible power to your words. And James then illustrates that with with two really vivid pictures. You can see them here beginning in verse 3. The first picture he gives is of a horse. Okay, Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
A couple weeks ago, uh, our family went out to Leavenworth for five days. It's a great time of vacation right after Easter. Uh, we had a blast there, Leavenworth, a really, really cool spot. My girls, one of their favorite things was we would go into town and just shop around. I, probably most of you have maybe been to Leavenworth at some point. And one of their favorite things about going into town is that Leavenworth has this horse and carriage that goes through the middle of town. Now, Dad wouldn't pay for a horse and carriage ride for them. But one of the days that we were there, we got to sit in the middle of the town square and eat ice cream, which was awesome, um, and just look at this horse and carriage that was parked there. Beautiful, majestic, black Percheron draft horse. And this horse was uh, 18 hands tall and 2,000 pounds. Spectacularly beautiful. And the gal that was driving the carriage was just an itty-bitty thing. She wasn't a big girl, but she could drive that gigantic horse through town with barely an invisible twitch on the reins. Just barely moving the reins from side to side, this mammoth horse was able to drive through a packed, crowded tourist destination. And that's the tongue, James says. It's this... It's this tiny thing that is able to control so much of your life. The second picture James gives here is, is similar. It's of a ship. Look at verse 4 here. He says, look at the ships also. Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot directs. Now here's what James is saying. Ships are big, right? But their rudders, what, what steers them, what directs them, what, what charts their course through the oceans is incredibly small. There's a ship called the Nock Nevis that's one of the biggest ships in the world. It's an it's oil tanker. Uh, it's definitely actually the longest ship in the world, 458 meters, 1,500 feet long, five football fields in length. And fully loaded with oil, that ship's over 650,000 tons. That's incredibly heavy. But it's steered across the oceans by this rudder that is a mere three one-hundredths of a percent of its total weight, 230 tons. I mean, that's huge, but when you're talking about the size of that ship, it's hardly anything. So, so James is pointing to these two incredibly small things, right? A, a bit in a mouth and a rudder on a ship that, that in the hands of a rider... And a pilot, they, they steer, they chart the course where they set the direction of, they control, they have, they have power over these much more massive objects, these much more massive realities. And so here's James's conclusion. Look at verse 5 with me, if you've got your Bible. He concludes, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It's able to actually claim Lay claim to these great works that it does. It controls all of your life. It's this powerful reality. Often I think that we, we think about what comes out of our mouth as sort of a small thing, kind of insignificant. Not, it's not really that big of a deal. But James is saying that it is huge what our words do. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs says. It affects and directs and changes much more than we'd expect. James says in verse 6 that it actually sets on fire 
the entire course of life. Words have this incredible power both for good and for ill, right? Words have made or broken careers. Words have have brought together married couples and torn them apart. Words have launched people forward into success, and they've also created years, lifetimes of self-loathing. Like Ryan said it this morning, right? We can all look back on our own lives and see the ways that people's words to us or about us have shaped us for good and for bad. Words are incredibly powerful. Just think of these words, right? And the the difference that they make, right? They're small statements, but they're mammoth in their power. I love you. I do. That changes the course of life. I'm sorry. I forgive you. They're just words, but they're mammoth in their power. They create and change identity. They, they do something in the world. Words are these powerful things. That's why James says in verse 1 here, not many of you should become teachers. It's because words are so powerful, right? Because words are so powerful, teachers have this massive responsibility as as an authority figure teaching to those who are listening to them now that's super weighty for us as pastors I, I i was trying to spend some time just letting that hit me this week but the exhortation isn't just for pastors and we live i i think in this cultural moment when everyone wants to be an expert everyone wants to be a teacher People are often very free to spout their own opinions and to give instruction to other people. I mean, this this should make us, the power of words should make us incredibly sober about putting ourselves in a position to teach others or to give instruction to others. Because what comes out of your mouth when you're giving advice or instruction or what you think is is wisdom, it just it has incredible power to it. So we should think soberly. And this small, seemingly insignificant reality of our tongue, our words, has, has great power to it. And James wants us to grasp that. So that's, that's number one. Words are powerful. Number two, similar thing, but a little bit more nuanced. James says, number two, words can also be really destructive. So words are powerful. Number two, words can be really destructive. James moves here from these portraits that simply show the power of words, the power of these these seemingly insignificant things we say to to just affect worlds around us. He moves from that to to an illustration to show the the power that words have to just do massive damage. Look at the next paragraph here with me. This is the tail end of verse 5. James says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. A couple of years ago in 2017, there was a forest fire, um, Eagle Creek fire, that burned down the, the Columbia Gorge. And it, it, it actually caused the evacuation of multiple different cities along the gorge and came right up to the edge of Metro Portland. For several weeks, it stayed there with firefighters fighting it. And it ended up burning 47,000 hectares of forest and causing over $40 million of damage. And all of it was started because a teenager going for a hike decided to throw some fireworks down a particular mountain valley. That's it. $40 million of damage, 47,000 hectares of forest burn, all because of a simple firework. 
And that's the destructive force of words, James is saying. We all know this rhyme that we were taught as kids, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names or words will never hurt me. And that's stupid. <laughs> and there, there is nothing that could be further from the truth, right? I mean, there's nothing that could be more against even what, what Scripture tells us, right? Proverbs says that harsh words are like sword thrusts. They, they cut deep in, 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 our, in, in ourselves. And some of the most painful things that many of you have ever, have ever experienced in life have been the words of others about you or to you. And the, those are things that as hard as you try, and, and as much as God can give us the grace to forgive and to move on from some of those things, you just carry those around with you the rest of your life. I mean, it's, it's broken bones that heal quickly, right? Those take a few months with a cast, and yet words can create these wounds in us that we carry around forever. And that's scary when we start actually thinking about the impact of our own words on others, right? Your, your words are not neutral. They are always going out from you and doing something. They're either giving life or they're taking it away. Either you're, you're speaking these words that are full of encouragement and hope and strength and forgiveness and wisdom and grace and truth, or sparks are just flying out of your mouth. I mean, we're, we're spraying around where we go, criticism and slander and gossip and hatred and anger and bitterness, words that kill, we're, Words, even our careless words, right? Most of the time, it's our careless words. Very few of us are premeditated, intentional meanies. I mean, these are often just our careless words. They create all kinds of damage, more damage than we know. Husbands, your, your words are either watering your wife's soul or they are sucking life from her. And where there are marriages that, that are struggling or that are even just falling apart, always behind that there is a long history of where words over, over time have just crumbled any foundation of love and trust and grace. If you're a parent like me, this, this really hits home, right? Because there's a way that we can justify our words because we're in this position of authority over our kids, right? We have to tell them how it is. Yes, we do. But it doesn't justify the ways that we speak to them, right? When in anger, we just, we just lay into our kids out of our anger or our impatience. What, what's going on internally for them? Now, are they thinking, wow, I'm so glad I have my dad in my life to be able to say these things to me. He's just a fount of wisdom. I need more of this wisdom. I feel, I feel so safe with my dad here. No, it's, it's not what they're thinking, Right? Those words do damage and they, they break down trust that, that needs to be built into the future with our kids. Let's not squirm out, of the, out from under the, the weight of what James is trying to say to us here. James is, is painting this picture so we see actually how ugly this can be in our lives. And some of us need this here this morning because we've just let our tongue rule us. We've just stopped having any check on what comes out of our mouth. And we end up going around just, just throwing up onto others and then just leaving them to take care of the mess. 
And please, as you're sitting there, don't, don't listen to this for your husband or your wife or your kids. Listen to this for, for you. We, we need to stop giving ourselves a pass, right? We need to stop making excuses for ourselves. We need to stop saying things like, well, well what I'm saying is true. Well, yeah, maybe it's true, <laughs> but is it giving life or is it bringing death? Our words can bring such destruction. And it's not just others, by the way, that are harmed by our words. Our words, our words damage us. And Proverbs talks about the things that we speak actually a man's own lips destroying him. There's a way that what we speak damages ourselves. What do I mean? Well, what I mean by that is that, that more than just creating brokenness of relationships around them, there, there's a way that internally in who we are, our words can create all kinds of dissonance within, within us. Um, can I just confess an area of struggle for me? I don't usually like to just make this a confessional, but I think it hopefully would be helpful to you to, to hear one of these areas for me that I found myself having to repent of this week. Uh, we've been talking about a lot about anger and criticism and exploding at others, but there, there's also more subtle things that we do with our words. There's a way that we can talk about stories, that we can talk about situations in our life. We can talk about things that have, have, have happened today. It could be yesterday, could be 10 years ago, but we can talk about situations in our life in a way that paints ourselves in a certain light, Right? And we can do that through exaggeration, we can do it through humor, we can do it through, through sarcasm, through partial truth. Uh, but when we do that, suddenly what, what comes out of my mouth, what people are hearing is actually different than what my heart is aiming at. That I'm trying to glorify myself and, and I'm, I'm using my words to do it. And when that disconnect is there, right, we become these unstable people. We don't even know what's true about ourselves anymore because we're we're so free with the truth. What, and so what we say starts to damage us, right? We become disconnected from ourselves. And what a mess we are. That's why James says, verse 9, right? He says, one minute we bless our Lord and Father. We're worshiping God. We're, we're praising Him. We're pouring out our worship to Him. We're, we're using our speech for what He created us to do in this one moment. And the next minute, what are we doing? We're, we're cursing people who are made in His likeness. And we walk out of the church service, and before we even get into the car, right, we're complaining and grumbling about some person or situation. We're, we're just a mess. And it's because no, no matter how hard we try, words are untamable. They're just untamable. So this is number three. James says words, number one, are powerful. Number two, they can be so destructive. Number three, they are untamable. Look with me at, at verse 6. The tongue is a fire. James just says it outright, right? No, no, uh, no illustrations anymore. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. He's saying it's, the tongue's actually fueled. It's empowered by hell itself. It's evil. Now keep reading with me. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, it's interesting that some of the most dangerous, the most poisonous creatures in all of creation are, are some of the smallest, right? The poison dart frogs, jellyfish, centipedes. These are some of the most dangerous, 
poisonous animals. The tongue is this small, insignificant reality that is a deadly poison, James says. And yet, yet even those creatures, right, we, we've tamed even those poisonous creatures. We've, we've put them into zoos. We've put them into aquariums. God, God gave Adam, right from the creation, this dominion over all of creation. And humanities exercise that over, over every creature, right? We've got animals who do work for us, who we keep as pets, who we put in zoos. We've tamed them. But there's this one part of us, not a part out here, a part internally of ourselves within us that we cannot fully bring into submission. Right? Bringing our mouths into submission is something that is beyond us. And so that means for us that taming our tongues isn't going to happen for us this morning just by resolving to leave here and do better. It's not going to come by just reading the latest book on communication styles or, or you walking away here with five principles for how to flawlessly control your tongue. It's, it's just not going to happen. Like, go home and try to do this assignment this week. Here, here's your assignment. Don't complain or grumble about anything. Don't gossip or repeat any bad information about anyone else. Don't criticize or tear anyone else down, even, even a little bit. Don't defend or excuse yourself, no, no matter what, but always do what honors and affirms other people. And then, if somehow you manage to do all of that, don't boast about it. Don't talk about it <laughs> to anyone. Like, that assignment is just not going to happen, is it? I mean, you, you can't do this on your own. We can't tame our tongues on our own. So, so how do we do it? I want you to listen here to the words of Augustine, the great, great early church father. In writing about this passage, he says, James does not say that no one can tame the tongue. He says no human being. So that when it is actually tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity the help, the grace of God. We so need God's grace. And this is where James wraps up at the end of this passage. Look with me at verses 12, uh, 10 to 12 here as, as we wrap up. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. <laughs> what a mess we are, right? In the same, same breath almost. We worship God and then curse our brother. What a mess we are. My brother's these things ought not to be so. Right? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way that God created us. He made our tongues to bless Him and to bless others, but there's something that's gone wrong inside of us. And from this moment in the garden when Adam and Eve believed Satan, Satan's lies instead of God's truth, our own words were corrupted, right? This, this poison of sin entered into the very fiber of our beings and it started to come up out of us and spill out garbage on everyone else. And so it's not a coincidence, right, that when we look at the story in the garden, what's the first thing that Adam does when he falls into sin? He uses his words to blame, to throw his wife under the bus, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And so, why are our words such a mess? Well, it's because there's something messed up going on inside of us. And this is not just about, oh, you know, well, I let that word slip out again today. 
And James says that our, our words reveal something about the very essence of who you are and what's going on inside of you. And so if you're a note taker and you need point four, that's point four. James says our words reveal something about us. Look at verse 11 here with me. Does, does a spring, he says, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You know, recently there's been, uh, I've noticed on, on uh, the news, several different athletes and celebrities who've had to apologize for things that they've kind of gotten in trouble for with their words. And one of the common themes, maybe you've heard this thread in, in many of their different apologies, I've heard this statement often, that's just not me, right? That's not who I am. I've heard my daughters, to be honest, I've heard myself, right, say, say things like that. I, I didn't really mean it. I didn't really mean it. James is saying, if it came out of you, it was in you somewhere. James is remembering here, Jesus is teaching, right? Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for... Now listen to this, okay? This is the key thing he says. For... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it comes out of you, it is going on inside of you somewhere. And so that means, again, that we we have to stop making excuses. If you look at your life and you see a pattern of short-temperedness, a bitterness with your words, where, where you're just snapping at people, where you are crabby, the issue then is not your lack of sleep, or that you need to get something to eat, or that it's just a tough season of life. Yes, all those things break down our guards, but the core of that issue is that there is something going on inside of you that only God's grace can transform. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All of us, I think, sitting here this morning, right, what what do we want and we want to be a conduit for this, this overflowing, refreshing, life-giving stream of language to come out of toward others, don't we? But who doesn't want that? What James is trying to help us see here is that the issue is not our words, it's our heart. And so what we need isn't just a spiritual upgrade, it's not just some helpful spiritual tips. What we need is to actually be made new on the inside. How does that happen? And this is the gospel for us, right, church? This is the good news that's centered on Jesus, this, this Savior for us who John 1 says was the Word of God. He was, he was the, the speech of God embodied, enfleshed, come to dwell among us. God, God spoke to us in this perfect, ultimate way through Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus came And he lived this life of perfect obedience. His words were nothing like our words, were they? I mean, Jesus speaks, and instead of destruction, what happens? A storm gets calmed. 
Jesus speaks and life is raised from death. Healing comes to broken bones. He's, he's turning destruction on its head. I mean, Jesus is the embodiment of all of the life and blessing that godly speech brings, that God's own words bring. And He lives this perfect life in our place and He dies this death that we deserve on the cross. And in that event, what does Jesus do? He satisfies the just wrath of God against all of the mess that we've made against this gift of language that God's given to us. He dies to bear the consequence we deserve. And so all of us, right, we look to this mess that we've made of language, the ways we've wounded others through our words, the way that we've been wounded by words. And where do we find forgiveness? Where do we find healing? It is by looking to this place of substitution Jesus' life for ours, ours for His. And through that, He's raised again to new life, right? Through His death and His resurrection, there's this promise that comes to all those who believe. And what's that promise? It's a new inside. It's a new heart, a new power, a new spirit at work within us. Now you might say to me, Ben, I believed that gospel 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Why is there still salt water coming out of me? I mean, part of it is that even after you become a Christian, there, there are still these corners of your heart where, where salt ponds linger, right? Where functionally, there's these corners where we're not living out the reality of what God's actually done inside of us. It's these places where our faith isn't lining up with our words. And so how do you increasingly, in your life, tame your tongue? You've got to be transformed from the inside out. How does that happen? (laughs) Well, Paul's word in in Colossians 3.16, I think is so helpful for us here. He says this, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And there is a way that we let the Word of Christ, what Paul's talking about is the very essence of the Gospel. The reality of who Jesus is for us. When that begins to soak and saturate and enliven us more and more from the inside out, what's going to start spilling out? It's going to be His life-giving words, not our death-giving words. It's going to be His words of kindness and grace and healing the grace and kindness and mercy that we've received begins to spill out on others as He increasingly dwells in all of those back corners of our heart. The salt ponds get switched out for fresh water fountains. We so badly need His grace, don't we? And He wants to give it to us. He's delighted to meet with us this morning, to meet with you this morning in all of those places that you've sinned and been sinned against. He wants to bring His grace to transform the way you use your words. Let's pray together. Worship team, would you come on up? Father, we come uh, just so grateful this morning for Your massive, overwhelming grace toward us. We, we look, I think we, each of us even looks this week, and if there were a book recorded of our words this week and how we used them, Lord, we would be ashamed to have that open before each other. And yet your grace comes in and brings us such incredible freedom where we can admit the depth of our mess and receive 
the transforming grace that only you can give to us. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, even as we continue to worship, would you do the work that you desire in us? In your grace and mercy, we pray. Amen.